0: Welcome to What Makes Up Your Mind? Updates from the frontiers of neuroscience, well-being, and mental health from the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University's School of Medicine. This is your invitation to meet the faculty dedicated to understanding our most complex organ, committed to curing mental illness, and inspired to help create a healthier, thriving world. Thank you for making a return visit to What Makes Up Your Mind. I'm Jane McMillan. We have some exciting news in the realm of youth mental health today. The mental well-being of children and young adults has garnered an awful lot of attention since the arrival of COVID-19, and rightly so. The pandemic upended more than a year of learning and critical social development, creating isolation and lingering trauma. But long before the virus, Mental health professionals were deeply concerned over rising rates of youth depression and suicide, over substance use and incidents of violence. Youth pregnancy and low college graduation numbers also signaled a troubling trend in America's young people. The call has been going out for a long time for a cohesive plan with adequate infrastructure and enough professionals to get our young the help that they need. Well, we may finally be on our way. Because two new centers, the first of their kind in the nation, dedicated to youth well-being, have opened in Santa Clara County, California, one in San Jose, and one in Palo Alto. They're called All Cove. That's small a-l-l-c-o-v-e. A cove, or safe harbor, for all. And the name, like the services and even the physical characteristics of these new brick-and-mortar help spaces, were designed with, by, and for youth. Based on proven success in other countries, the plan is for Alcove to spread across the United States, creating a network of one-stop shops for youth mental and physical health care, including help with education and employment, substance use treatment, and peer and family support. The driving force behind Alcove is our guest today on What Makes Up Your Mind. He's the director of the Stanford Center for Youth Mental Health and Well-Being, a clinical professor in the Stanford Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, Dr. Stephen Adelsheim. Well, Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. And I think first I have to say congratulations. Opening finally the Alcove Centers in Santa Clara County, it's been a long haul, hasn't it?
1: it has it's it's been you know really a vision that began um nine years ago actually
0: tell us how that got started it it actually began with an idea in Australia and has been functional this idea of brick and mortar centers in other countries for a while
1: absolutely and you know i I'm someone who's really been invested in and, and my career is really focused on doing early intervention related work around the mental health arena for um adolescents and young adults and have really been committed to that effort, really believing that only intervention for mental health conditions was as critical and important as for any other medically related issue. So I worked for many years in schools and school-based health centers because, as people say, that's where the kids are. And as critical places to provide early intervention support to identify young people who may be facing challenges or struggling with different mental health or other related kinds of issues, and to link services to them. I then learned about and got involved in this whole national effort, a really international effort focused on early psychosis and this idea that if we could identify young people who may be at risk for or starting to have early symptoms that could be related to... Uh, moving towards hearing voices or developing paranoia or episodes of losing touch with reality that providing that early treatment could delay or even stop young people in their movement towards those more serious psychiatric conditions. And all of that work became very important. But what I'll say is that in terms of the school-based work, there were also some challenges. There were issues related to schools being closed at times of vacations and in the summers. There were issues of sometimes the school facing so many conflicting priorities, you know, sometimes leadership would change and the next administrator or principal didn't feel like health-related activities really was as related to education as maybe the previous one. And so some of the efforts to build school-based programs would come and go. Schools don't often have space enough to provide these kinds of services. All this to say, you know, it seemed important to look out there and see what else was in the world to build these community-based early intervention programs. And as, as you said, um, I learned about this program called Headspace in Australia. And that's really what has led to this development over the years that, for the program that we're now calling Alco.
0: Maybe before we talk specifically about this model and the two centers here in Santa Clara County, the first in the United States, the first of many, I know you hope, and we all hope, but let's talk about the need. Can you just describe to us what is the state of the mental health of our youth in this country at this time? Now, I'm sure there are larger challenges since the pandemic, but there have been issues and challenges, unmet needs for many years here. So How healthy mentally are our kids?
1: Well, you know, I think we have been facing real challenges. And the data, as it's reflected to us, really says that half of all mental health conditions start by the age of 14 and three quarters by the age of 24. And when we look at our young people, you know, early on, they're generally healthy from a physical standpoint but most mental health conditions actually have their onset in when young people are in secondary school or really in early stages of adulthood. And yet we really have not developed in this country these systems and structures and public health settings for young people to come in and get care when these issues develop. And in fact, even if we look at the average age of onset of anxiety disorders, being you know uh, nine, 10, 11, 12, or other conditions around depression, starting early, you know, most often young people are going seven or eight years of uh, facing these challenges before they're accessing care. Even when we look at young people with illnesses, psychotic illnesses, where they're losing touch with reality, Uh, Our data nationally would say that people are walking around with a psychotic condition for 18 months before they're accessing treatment. And, you know, and this was all before the pandemic began in terms of looking at this data. And, you know, when we look at access, as much as we might say one in five young people under 18 may be dealing with a serious mental health condition, of that one out of five the vast majority of those young people with mental health conditions, up to almost 80%, were not accessing mental health care.
0: Who would be catching this issue first for a child? Would it be a pediatrician, a teacher? And have we seen that those caregivers and educators are qualified to spot these problems? Because certainly, as you describe, maybe a psychosis that's very serious, that's very obvious. But if we're talking about anxiety or depression that could be confused with behavioral issues or teenage moodiness, but that could lead to further complications. So how have we been catching and have we been catching them enough?
1: Well, to your point, I don't know that we've been catching them enough and certainly not early enough and not well. And part of the issue is even when we do catch them, our mental health systems for the most part don't really provide enough of a workforce to enable um, an educated and skilled workforce to be able to provide the care that young people and their families need. What I can tell you is that for some of these programs like these early psychosis or other programs, the outreach to train people in schools or to train primary care providers has been very important. There's been a national movement that's grown over the last ten or fifteen years, called these child psychiatry access programs that started in Massachusetts with the Massachusetts Child Psychiatry Access Program, where you have teams of behavioral specialists and child psychiatrists backing up primary care providers both to educate them about early mental health challenges but then also have a place where they can call when a young person's in their office struggling. To get some guidance on how to best handle them in the office, and then if necessary, link them to early support. So, those programs have been taking off around the country over the last, you know, recent number of years. But still, overall, even when we look at our young people who may have major depression issues across the United States or in, in California in particular, only a third of our young kids with major depression have been able to access any kind of early mental health care. So there's been a lot of additional training and awareness that's needed to happen.
0: Describe uh, for parents and for family members, friends who are listening, what constitutes or what signs might be there for a young person who's struggling with mental health issues?
1: It might be surprising to some young people and families. You know, As you, as you mentioned, you know, when we see young people, particularly in schools, who are getting anxious or getting depressed, they're not often the young people that are maybe having trouble sitting still or acting out in the classroom or getting in a fight. They're often the young people that are more quiet, that are more withdrawn. They may not be spending as much time with their friends. They may not want to go to school. They may not um, be doing as well academically and their grades may be dropping. They may tend to isolate a little bit more when young people are are developing a lot of these sort of um, other more serious psychiatric conditions. But that also means they may not be the young people that are noticed as much in school. And even on some occasion, you know, one of the things we see sometimes with young people who are getting depressed is that, you know, they'll talk about their fuse getting a little shorter if you ask them, and, and they may not be able to kind of like tolerate frustration or irritations the way they usually would, and they get angry more easily, they blow up more easily, and maybe that young person even getting in a fight for the first time in school may be someone who's sort of developing an underlying depression. The other thing I would just quickly add is that what we also often see Or what we call sort of vegetative signs or similar signs where a young person may be having changes in their appetite. They may eat less or have less interest in food, or in some cases, they may eat more than usual. And then sleep becomes a really important thing to look at as well. What we often see as a young people have more trouble sleeping, they awaken more in the middle of the night, they feel tired, more fatigued, their concentration isn't as good. And that's true for us as adults.
0: All good things to to look for. Let's move then to this source of help that you have finally gotten off the ground and doors are open. These two sites, Alcove. I love the name. Tell us a little bit about what you offer, what the spaces are like,
1: who's welcome. Sure. So, what, what I'll quickly say by way of introduction is, you know, the goal of of these programs, which we're calling Integrated Youth Mental Health Models, that are now part of this international network that really began with the Headspace programs in Australia that spread to uh, other countries, including Jigsaw in Ireland and Foundry, British Columbia and Waihu in Ontario, you know, these are... Places in the community developed by and for young people 12 to 25 that are located near where young people tend to spend time, easy access to transportation in the community, and having youth advisory groups sort of advise and develop the model has become really critical these types of services because we want these to be comfortable spaces for young people that they feel like are their place to go in and get the early support that they need. And even as you mentioned the name All Cove, um, it was really developed through Youth Voice and working with youth advisors both locally, but also in other parts of California and across the country to really name a space that is for all young people. It's really been regardless of ability to pay. And the Cove really as sort of a safe, protective harbor, as you would have it, for young people that feel comfortable in a safe space getting the supports and services they need.
0: Where are the two centers in Santa Clara County that have just opened?
1: Well, right now um, in Palo Alto, there's one right near a shopping center, Middlefield Road in the centrally located place. And then the other site is in San Jose, Second and Keys, right near downtown San Jose which is really in in the mix of the inner city. What kind
0: of programs are there, supports and services? What will they find when they come in?
1: Sure. When young people come in, generally the first thing that happens is they meet one of the peer advisors, which are young people who are close to the age of the people the services are for. Many of them have lived experience either with mental health issues themselves or a family member that has and have had experience sort of navigating mental health supports and systems and know the community that they're in very well. Young people often then be given a tour of the program by the peer specialists and then really um, share, you know, the, the peer specialists share the range of services which range from early mental health care to primary care medical services to supported education employment linkages to, in addition to the peer support, early substance use treatment. And if the service they need isn't available at the alcove site, you know, one of our key roles is really to be able to be a link to the appropriate community service. If someone needs a higher-end mental health service or referral to housing or other types of supports, we want to be sure that from the alcove, program, people can get access to the other additional supports and services they need.
0: You mentioned the age range, and it's, it's quite an expansive age range, uh, 14 to 24, is that correct? 25. 25
1: 14 to 25, 14 to 20, yeah. Okay.
0: That is a wide, wide range, um, and that's a lot of services in different areas for these different ages. How are you managing um, one center that has such a, a wide range. 14 is such a long way from 25.
1: Well, that's true, you know, people talk about 12 to 25 as the second zero to three, and people are referencing sort of this key period of development uh, socially, emotionally, and frankly, biologically as well, when the brain is really going through sort of a final maturational phase. And we really wanna be sure as do the international partners that are supporting this work as well, that you know we have these places for young people really across this early spectrum when mental health related challenges are developing to be able to create an environment that particularly meets the needs of this population. And so whether someone is coming through middle school or secondary school, or even maybe moving into the workforce or community college or even a four-year school, we want to be able to be sure that we have an environment that's comfortable for our adolescents and young adults that speaks to their needs and really is able to provide that range of supports. One of the things that's very important for those that are under 18 and, and minors is really ensuring that alcove sites are places where they can um, feel comfortable having a confidential visit. Um, the sites really try to follow all of the state and federal laws regarding informed consent and confidentiality and make you know early access in a safe and comfortable way for young people a priority.
0: That was my next question, is how to deal with privacy issues versus, for the younger ones, parental concerns or notification.
1: So, you know, we're glad to see young people with their families and with family support, and we believe ultimately that's critical. There are, there are many young people, though, who really want to come and talk about an issue and often don't want to start in, with their families as a partner and addressing the solution uh, as quickly as um, sometimes might even be helpful. But part of the role of these places is to become a comfortable place to have those initial conversations. And then, you know, our experienced staff really are working to think through with that young person when might be the appropriate time to bring other caring adults or caregivers or friends even into the mix to provide additional support. So we're really working to follow all the state laws around informed consent confidentiality for mental health, for addiction as well as for um, family planning and other related kinds of supports as well. We want those to be draws for young people who may often in school settings or other settings are more concerned about whether or not their medical record or their communications will be kept private until they may be ready to share it uh, with a family member.
0: What is it about a brick-and-mortar space in this virtual digital age where young people in particular do so much of their interaction via social media and online and virtually. What is it about a brick and mortar space and can you get them to come in?
1: How are you doing the outreach? It's a really good question. And and I think certainly during this period of COVID, it's delayed the opening of our sites. And part of our discussion has been how do we build out additional virtual supports as needed? And some of our international partners have really done very active virtual service with a plan and movement back towards bringing young people into the facilities as well. But I think having a space for young people that is their own, that's also a meeting space, whether or not to do sort of group prevention and wellness activities or other more serious group activities or having that cove as the space in each site where young people can come and have some period for reflection and support while they're making decisions about what services they want to access i think becomes very important in terms of young people having their own space and so you know we've continued to operate in a movement in that direction while we've been working to sort out how to build better linkages you know over time that might be virtual. And we're also talking with the national partners around app development or other ways of utilizing social media for linkages. In terms of the outreach, as you mentioned, what's been key about that has been our youth advisors. Really the movement towards Olco began a number of years ago with the creation of our youth advisory groups, both for Palo Alto and San Jose with the idea of really having an active youth voice and youth leaders who represent the diversity of each community and really have taken on guiding not only the naming, but the design and look and feel of each site. And it's these youth advisors who also interface with the community. They've been doing presentations locally around the state and even some national ones to share the model, the need for it, and their experiences around the development of these sites. In addition, each alcove site has a community consortium that's made up of community partners from the cities in which they're found, from local schools and community colleges or universities, as well as other health agencies, mental health agencies, parents, youth representatives that also provide advice and guidance to each site about how to be a better community partner, how to link referrals and other kinds of services and support, and then also really serve as an additional outreach partner through those members back to the community that reflect the value of the Alcove sites and centers and their relationship to the community as a whole.
0: Talk more about how you put together the Youth Advisory Group, or YAG, as it's called for short. It's quite a wide-ranging group of young people, and I've had the privilege of meeting some of them who have helped you put this together and and now help staff the Alcove Centers. But how did you do that outreach? What were the parameters for putting this group together to make sure you touched on uh, a wide range of experiences and demographics?
1: You know, we are now in our fourth cohort of youth advisors. This really began well over three and a half years ago that we started reaching out to young people in both Palo Alto and San Jose to become members of the AG. And for that first group, we reached out to community agencies, the cities, the schools to select the initial leaders. But after we had our first cohort, you know, we really wanted to take advantage of their expertise and diversity to bring the next waves of youth advisory group members to the forefront. And so, as we've moved forward with this process, we've had formal applications that have been available online for young people to apply. And basically, then our selection process has really been developed by and through our youth advisors, who then review the additional applications we as a staff and through our youth leadership staff work with them to ensure that they're making selections that really reflect the diversity of the community from um, really all standpoints in terms of lived experience or not um, from diversity equity inclusion perspectives ensuring we have uh, lgbtqi appropriate support and, and um, voice as well as reflecting the cultural nature of each community. And over time, it's become, you know, a, an exciting process where we're getting annually at least over 80 applications for what end up being 20 slots at each site. And so it's been a wonderful process. We have wonderful youth leaders as members of the YAG. They're not only giving great advice and guidance to the programs, but we're really working to give them a good youth leadership experience to support them in areas that they would like to understand better and to be able to build out their potential in youth mental health. And, you know, one example of that, even is at the San Jose site, some of our new peer specialists that are working at the site are people that worked as early members of our youth advisory group that have then gone on to be hired to be um, peer specialists at the alcove site, which is wonderful.
0: It must be incredibly gratifying to see that dedication. And having met several of them, the dedication is real. The time dedication, the emotional dedication is really special.
1: And to add to that, you know, right now, I think within our country, people are really recognizing the importance of acknowledging and learning from the youth voice in many, many areas. And certainly from a mental health perspective, our younger people are really working actively to break down stigma around mental health challenges really acknowledging the impact of mental health. We're seeing it in our national athletes who are taking a stand about acknowledging the impact of mental health. And so there's a great deal to be gained by listening to the youth voice and their wisdom and developing services that are particularly for them and they should be developed by them.
0: What did they tell you was important in, in terms of the feel, the look, Uh, the services, the safety, feel of safety of these Alcove centers, what was on their priority list?
1: Well, you know, having sites that are in locations that are comfortable for them has been very important. Ensuring that the staff really have solid experience, passion, and commitment around working well with young people has been critical. For many of the young people who worked with this issue of informed consent and confidentiality, Being able to have a place where they could have their initial own private conversation around whatever issues they wanted to address, an environment that was comfortable and for them became important. In terms of the look and feel, having that cove or a space that is there for reflection and gathering to be able to provide support for young people to quietly spend time together has also been important. And then, you know, as these sites have opened, we're still working on the indoor look and feel of them, the color palette that young people are interested in, ensuring that they include local design and murals on the walls that really reflect each community's culture and background has become an important piece as well. And ensuring that the staff that are hired meet a certain standard and so are youth advisors have really become involved in the hiring of the staff at the Alcove sites. they have been involved in the interview processes for pretty much every position at this point.
0: For some folks who may think, wow, this is kind of an old-fashioned idea, a shop, a one-stop shop, a place, a building where kids will gather. Will they want to? What good will it do? So give us just a quick idea of what Australia, which has had this across the nation for several years, what they've seen in terms of improvements in youth mental health and reductions in problems.
1: Well, it's been interesting. When you look at at the rollout of of Headspace across Australia, it started, I don't know, at least 15 years ago with an initial commitment to a number of sites by the Australian government. And at that time, they really rolled out um, fairly quickly, 20 to 30 sites. And over the course of the last 10 years, as much as there has been um, political turmoil in Australia, just like within the United States and internationally, one thing that people from both sides of the aisle have agreed on was the need for headspace sites across the country. And, and when you go there and, and see the sites and meet the people um, and talk to the federal leadership, You know, it's clear that this is one thing all the legislators could agree on. Every legislator wants uh, a headspace site in their community to the point now where they are working towards 150 um, headspace sites across the country. I think they're close to 130 right now, but opening more. And they will tell you that, that this has been critical for their young people in terms of uh, getting their early mental health needs met. You know, many young people, both there and in British Columbia, when asked, you know, if you weren't coming to our site for this problem, where would you go? And the answer is only nowhere, because young people otherwise don't have an early place to get care. But at these sites, young people can come in, they can drop in or come in and get an early service. Sometimes they come for one visit, sometimes they can come for up to six or 12 with a goal still of of early intervention for addressing the issue and trying to do short-term therapy models with young people potentially coming back if they need support. But what what they're seeing is young people who are getting support earlier are able to stay on track in school or in their employment. And if they need more in-depth care, you know, it's recognized earlier and those linkages can be made earlier to higher levels of care.
0: That just makes for a healthier society overall, more productive and safer.
1: And to your point, you know, right now in this country and most others, we're seeing young people come in with mental health issues, mostly to emergency rooms or with a suicide attempt or a risk of suicide or an addiction issue, because our system is really geared to sort of crisis response, rather than really creating places where young people can come in and get help before a crisis needs to happen. And this really tries to flip that model on its head and create these safe spaces up front so that you know young people don't have to wait till they're in crisis to feel comfortable getting the help they need.
0: I know you want to take Alcove across the country here too. If folks are listening and they want to look into getting something started in their community, at A center. I know it, it uh, goes hand in hand with public policymakers and local governments. What would you suggest they do?
1: Well, I suggest they could look at our Alcove.org website and then send us an email um, or contact our Center for Youth Mental Health and Wellbeing and just uh, request more information. At this point, you know, we're working with the state of California's mental health services oversight and accountability commission to roll out um, this model to at least five other communities around the state. And other interested communities around California are very welcome to join. We're creating a learning community for other interested sites that just want to learn more, that's going to have additional webinars and training. We're getting manuals ready to send out, more broadly, to interested people. And then we're having lots of conversations with people across the country um, in different cities and states that are interested in learning about the model. You know we're partnering uh, with the Origin Global people that were initially involved in developing headspace, and the World Economic Forum has put together documents on this integrated youth mental health model, and AlCOve is really one of the pilot partners. Uh, with both of these international groups on rolling out this collaboration. And so we're excited about the idea of building this model out throughout California, but also, you know, is interested across the country as well. So folks just want to reach out to us. We'll be glad to follow up and get you involved in our learning community and help share information that would be helpful.
0: We'll have all of the links to your website, Alcove, everything in the program notes of this podcast.
1: We appreciate that.
0: Oh, gosh, it's exciting. It's going to be gratifying after such a long haul and that you have so much more you want to do. So I want to say congratulations again, and I want to say thank you. Best of luck for replicating this across the country.
1: Well, thanks, Jane. We're excited about the potential of all of this. We're grateful to all of our partners. We hope we can build these early access points for young people across the nation, because especially now, we really need this early support. So thanks for the chance to share it with everyone.
0: Dr. Stephen Adelsheim is a clinical professor in the Stanford Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences and the Associate Chair for Community Engagement. As the director of the Stanford Center for Youth Mental Health and Well-Being, he's been the prime mover behind the Alcove Care Model for Youth Mental Health, which, as we've been discussing, opened its first two U.S. centers in Santa Clara County, California, San Jose, and Palo Alto. You can explore these new Alcove spaces and services for youth by following the link in our program notes. And do take Dr. Adelsheim up on his invitation to connect with him and the Alcove team if you want to help bring a center to your area. And please also take us up on this invitation to join us again on What Makes Up Your Mind. I'm Jane McMillan. You've been listening to What Makes Up Your Mind, updates from the frontiers of neuroscience, well-being, and mental health, from the experts in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University School of Medicine. For more information on this program and all of our transformational work, visit us at med.stanford.edu psychiatry. What makes up your mind? Updates from the frontiers of neuroscience, well-being, and mental health. Is a production of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University School of Medicine, a copyright of the Board of Trustees of Stanford University.